What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Crypto Circle podcast. I hope you're all keeping well. It has been a good, good minute since we've done one of these. I think it's been around about three weeks since we last released the last episode, which is not like us. Our schedules have been pretty crazy, and it's been quite difficult for us to get together once a week to actually record one of these. But like I said, we're back. This is season two, episode nine. And our guest today is someone who has very much been in high demand over the last couple of weeks and months. And that's Mr. X. He's back after his season one finale. And he's back to give his updated market thoughts after what has been a pretty, pretty crappy June and July. Things are definitely looking up now. Um, Bitcoin's trading around about 46k, which is fantastic. Um, and yeah, it was just great to get his his thoughts on the market. We talk about the latest NFT craze, which has literally been on everyone's minds and lips at the moment. Um, we talk about ETH versus Bitcoin as well, which was my favorite topic of discussion on this podcast, especially as ETH has really benefited off of this EIP 1559 release. Um, and yeah, just a great overall discussion. We're doing this one without Amish, unfortunately, who couldn't be with us. Like I said, guys, our schedules have been crazy, but do enjoy it. It was a fantastic episode. And here's a little snippet of what you can expect. How many people at 30K wish they'd have sold 65K, right? How many people took risk off at 30K now wish they'd have put more risk on? You've got to counter your emotion. I do think there's a good argument for one or 2% of someone's portfolio to be allocated to those kind of NFTs. I was reading retail groups and people were like, oh, I'm going to wait till after EIP 1559 because the fees are going to go down. I was like, what part of this have you misunderstood? <laughs> it's the first step in the process of changing the entirety of how the architecture works. ETH, absolutely, and I think the data supports it from active addresses and all this stuff, is growing and is arguably, you know, a hive of activity. It's good to have you back on the podcast. Uh, you've been in pretty much high demand ever since the last time we did the last episode on season one. Everyone in our Telegram and Discord can't stop talking about you. And uh, you can, I think you've got a good few people in your Bitcoin Telegram group now as well, right? Good to be on again. Thanks for you guys again. It's good to always have a chat and a catch up with you, yeah. you boys. Soon after that podcast or the chat, I set up that little Telegram group there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't always be as active. I've, like, you know yourself, my yeah. situation and the other real life projects I have, you know, like we do have a life outside of crypto. Uh, of got a few big building projects on at the moment. So between the two, I, I wanted to do more content after the, or off the back of the last discussion. Yeah. Um, but hopefully when this housing project's all built and finished end of September, October time, I should be doing more content as well. So I'll take that little... Uh, or I'll build from that little Telegram group. I've, I've already got a Twitter, and you followed that Twitter recently. <laughs> uh, just shit posting again. No doubt, I've, I've already been banned on it once. No doubt, I'll be banned again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I'll do YouTube, and I think I'm going to do like a, a Twitch streaming. So thanks for having me on. Looking forward to looking forward to the topic of conversation. I know. I think it's going to be quite interesting. Corey and man, we were without our our third, our third partner today. Yeah, we got to hold it down today. We got to hold it down. What's going on, man? How you doing? Yeah, what's good, man? How how's it over there today? Everything's good. Everything's good. Can't complain. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Nice. Yeah. Again, thanks. Good. Good to speak to you both. I'm sure we'll have a. An interesting hour or so. <laughs> yeah, man. All good, brother. Yeah. I was uh, I was actually looking back to the date that we recorded our last one, right? Which was around about, um, let's see, April the 13th was when that episode went live on on the kind of network Spotify, Apple Music. And, and the week after or the day after, 
we actually put our local top in at 60k or whatever we were at so i was just like oh shit man like we had this amazing podcast episode where we were just like trolling the fuck out of all the bitcoin bears and then the next day we put a top in so it was pretty funny but um (laughs) (laughs) but but it was pretty funny but uh i just think it'd be interesting just to get your kind of updated market thoughts now i kind of know what they are myself because we kind of chat on on mostly on a day-to-day basis but um give the listeners just kind of an update on what you think um just your thoughts mate i know because the last two months have been pretty crazy for a lot of people and i think the the listeners will get a lot from just kind of hearing your thoughts at the moment yeah i mean uh, yeah interesting i I didn't put two and two together but now you say it yeah i mean listening back (laughs) i was saying you know the top's definitely not in and then three days later there was a local top made yeah hence why why i said the word local i said hence why i said the word local (laughs) i mean uh, it's a big topic of discussion right everyone i arguably would say the majority of people certainly retail certainly the groups i hang around in under different aliases the vibe absolutely was a tops in bear markets begun um and this is over the course of May, June, July, kind of what we've seen over the last two months, yeah, right? Yeah, since yeah. our last chat, you know, literally since yeah. our last chat. I was traveling. I did a month of traveling uh, across Europe during that time. I've took on some quite big projects. So I was, to me, it didn't matter. You know, I told you at the start of the year, you know, I always position, you've always got to be prepared for an 85% drawdown mm. at some point, right? So certainly if this is your first cycle, it sounds you can't prepare for that until you're actually forced into it. But for, for me, and I'm sure you and other people invested, it, even if that is the top, right? Let's go on this route. If that is the top, it's not going to make a difference to my life. I could have had better gains. Yeah, I would have took more risk out of the market. But other than the risk I took out to do a building project, which was just a bit of fun, really, something I always wanted to do when I hit a certain figure. Yeah, I'm still absolutely all in. I would be amazed if that's the macro cycle top and the market is now in a downward trend for the next 12 months. I always like to try and invest or trade as if I had the same data set, would I have changed my opinion? If yes, then you've, you've played it wrong. If no, so based on the data I had at the time, would I have done the same moves and had the same plan? Yes, fine. You know, the market through an anomaly or you misjudged something and you, you forgave some gains or you made some bad decisions or you lost money, whatever, you know. So that's how I always say it. But since then, <laughs> I do think the top was like the 15th or something, maybe. Yeah, I'm literally looking at the daily chart right yeah, now. We, we yeah, couldn't have timed that better. <laughs> <laughs> The irony of of the confidence as well. Uh, But no, my my position is absolutely the same. Uh, I'll be amazed if we don't see a six-figure Bitcoin before the year end. Mm. I'm not, again, like I said on the the first podcast, I think, if I can wrap my brain back, I'm not one of these that, all right, yes, there is potential for a super cycle. I understand the different factors that could influence that. I'm not going to buy it until I believe it. So, yeah, I will potentially lose some money. Um, because I'm not expecting that. I'm not even into, the cycles do lengthen slowly, but Mm. there's a lot of talk, and I I posted about it the other day on Twitter. Um, A lot of people seem to think next year is going to be the big year. You know, I think that's because they thought this was going to be the big year, and now people are short-sighted. We're only half, we're just past halfway through the fucking year. Look how crazy the first six months are. People are already written off these last six months, so... Typically, it bodes well to see an absolutely ballistic next six months. You know, you remember 2017, a lot of people thought that was done at around 4,000. Yeah, I do uh, remember that. And then the finale, as I always say, I feel like I'll know again when I'm in that zone. I don't feel like we've hit anything like peak velocity like we did in 2017. I could be fucking wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and the market euphoria dies down every single year or every single cycle. But, you know, my position is absolutely the same. 
I'm not. I don't think 65k is the top. Um, if it is, it won't change my life. You know, it won't change. It's no. It's no negative to me. I'll still hold my allocation. Um, luckily, I as you as everyone knows, I'm more overweight Bitcoin than anything else. We'll go into the reasonings why in a yeah, bit. <laughs> so, you know, that my my tail risk is nil. You know, what I mean, if yeah. Bitcoin goes to ten thousand tomorrow, I'm going to wake up still the same. You know, my house is. You know, there's nothing needs to be paid. There's no. I've always structured stuff like that. So. I'm still fully invested. I don't believe the tops in. I don't believe the macro tops in. Clearly, a local top was made. And if you if we'd have recorded this a month ago, when market was literally looking like it was going to smash through 30k, and everyone on Twitter, you know, all these Twitter traders, are uh, bear market 20k next. I think I seen 10k, 6k, 8k. The average was we're going to retest that 2007 peak of 20K, yeah? Now, in a two weeks, we've got two weekly candles that have completely reverted everything, yeah. you know? And now everyone's getting all bullshit. And what happens if the next two-week candles take us back down to 30K, you know? I don't think it is, but look how aggressive it is from that 30K to pretty much 50K, right? Yeah. We're, we're already, people are already dreaming of all-time highs. So like we've said, this market moves so, so fast. In one week, you feel like, oh, I made a mistake there. I wish I'd, you know, how many people at 30K wish they'd have sold 65K, right? How many people took risk off at 30K now wish they'd have put more risk on? You've got to counter your emotions. If you feel like, if you're stressed, that's the time to buy. Like I say yeah. in, that, in, in the chat, when people are euphoric and like people are even messaging, um, I'm buying again, like, you know, all right, yeah, the market, I think the market's going to go up. So I don't think you've got a bad buy. You'd, historically in the last decade, buying Bitcoin any day has never been a bad day, right? But you could argue on the 15th of April was a bad day to buy. But <laughs> if we both know in the next two, three, four years, whatever your time horizon is, it's never going to be a bad buy, my opinion. Yeah. So I feel, I feel like, you know, that people constantly do take the wrong trade. And the worst people are is the people that a lot of, or a lot of people online, are they themselves a retail trader? They appear me and you share a, a few similar influences, should we say. Mm. And they're talking about retail, but they're acting like retail. You know, yeah, yeah. maybe someone listens to this and says, oh, what's this guy on about? You know, he's, he's talking blah, blah, blah. And, but there's no panic. You should always be in a position where it shouldn't be a panic, like I said last time. I even said in the chat, I think I said, before the market fully risked off, before the market actually fell, I, I, I put a post up about what percentage of people's weights and if something dipped 90% would it impact you? The amount of people that say yes is staggering. Do you know, like you're in a market where if you're investing in like frontier alts, they can absolutely go to zero. Mm-hmm. You know, Bitcoin, your large caps, they can't. But at the same time, you're investing in those because you want to outperform the market, right? So yeah. I still feel it's, it's to me anyway, and I, all right, I had a bit of a reasonable amount of investor experience in the legacy market before I came into this market. And in general, I hold, I've been investing in multiple asset classes before crypto, which, you know, not a lot of people, I think crypto is their first asset class or their first investment for a lot of people. So it is staggering to me the amount of people that aren't realistic with the fact that A, Bitcoin can draw down and probably will draw down 85% at some stage. It'll probably go up amplitudes after, you know, it'll go up ridiculous amounts and then b alts can absolutely go to zero but you've got to be realistic with the data set which is what you guys preach right yeah look at the data bitcoin if you if you're investing here and you you're scared or you don't think bitcoin can drop 85 percent, you're in the wrong market and if you're investing in alts and you think they can't drop 90 percent and then drop another 90 percent 
again, you're investing in the wrong market. And, mm. you know, likewise, the downside risk is pretty much always relative to the upside risk, right? Mm. Alts will go up vertically that make Bitcoin look like it's fucking staying still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, I think that's where the euphoria came in um, over like April, May, June, around before the huge crash, right? But I want to just kind of backtrack a little bit to what you're saying around lengthening cycles and things like that. This was um, something that I was thinking about on our last episode. How does this thing move going forward now? Like, it seems to me like this four-year cycle, this halvening, it's almost too easy now. Do you know what I mean? Like, so in 2024 or whenever the next halvening is, does this still, does this still have the same impact on Bitcoin? Like did this supply shock and, and it just goes up and then we can just compare cycle, previous cycles to previous cycles. And then this is how the market's going to move. Like, is it that easy? Is it going to be that easy? Like, do we see cycles ever again in the future or does this thing just move as and when it wants to? It's an opinion-based thing like anything to do with investing, right? But I actually feel like what, what you say there, and this is a common, like, I think it's not investor's dilemma, but it's almost along the same thesis that what to me and you is the norm isn't the norm or what we understand as information or a base level of knowledge isn't the, isn't the fact. You know, markets aren't as efficient as we like to think. Information asymmetry isn't really a thing in crypto. And I don't feel like it'll be a thing for maybe five, 10 years. So what me and you know, Tom, Dick and Harry down the road, they don't know. So I feel like the cycles and stuff, people don't believe it. I mean, everyone was, everyone, last time we spoke, everyone believed in the cycle, right? Yeah, All yeah. it took was a correction, yeah. <laughs> a mid-cycle correction, which is what I still holding out that it is. You know, we might be in a dead cat bounce at the moment, roll back over, and we're in a bear market, and this is the last time to get out. But I still think it's a mid-cycle correction, but the the people were adamant that we were on this four-year cycle now you go in a retail group and chat about a four-year cycle and they're like you lost your head mate can you not see we're in a bear market and you know blah 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 blah. so i feel like i personally think that the four-year cycle will will exist and i feel like it's almost i, re- I remember before the price ran up so it was like t- end of 2018 coming into 2019 excuse me and everyone was talking about the halvening people are like, oh, it's priced in. Everyone knows it's going to happen, so it won't happen. You know, that good old, it's priced in. How can you price in a physical supply shock? Like it's, you know, you, you might know that there's going to be less supply of something, but until it's actually removed out of the market, that impact can't be felt. And it's not felt overnight either. I think like some people were thinking that the second that the halving, like the halving blocks or, or, the, or the block reward halves, there will be a noticeable increase. It's not, it takes time to filter through. So I believe because it's a physical event, it's not just a chat, you know, it's, it's almost like EIP 115, <laughs> yeah. uh, 1559, I always say that wrong. Um, they're physical events to do with key factors that impact price. So I, f- I almost feel like it, the thing now is, as knowledge grows on the market is to feel that what you previously thought isn't correct or that, you almost want to evolve your knowledge and try and like outsmart the market. But I always say like, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Look at what the fundamentals are. We don't have any data yet. It might come, but we don't have any data yet to change that four-year cycle structure. So me personally, I'm a very, very basic investor, very basic when it comes to Bitcoin, trading, investing, you name it. I just look at what what's the reality and Yes, like like you said, there is this lengthening thesis, uh, or there's actually data that supporting that slowly. But again, what the first cycle in it, and I'm you know I'm using inverted commas here. If you could see me, the data is kind of irrelevant because 
Are we really including the price of Bitcoin from when it was sent before there was even a marketplace? So yeah, I mean, I don't know whether that directly or indirectly answers the question, but I see the, I mean, what's your take? You you guys, or or I think from when we have a chat personally, you seem to be leaning more towards the lengthening cycle and maybe, you know, like super cycle thoughts, but it's kind of like the DeFi chat. I will wait to be proven wrong and if that means me forgiving some value or some profits or gains in the meantime you know so be it i i accept the reality i guess yeah corian do you want to just jump in and kind of give your thoughts on that as far as the super cycle i do think that the halvening will always have an impact like you said it's a it's an actual event right so it's not anything that we can change plus seeing it happen the last what two times I think it will always have an impact being that, you know, of course, the supply is cut down. As far as the super cycle, I think it's going to be one of those things like where they want us to overthink it, right? And not really say that we're going to stick to what it is that we already believe. Like we said, we need some data to say that this is wrong before we just jump off the bus and say, okay, well, is there going to be a cycle, right? Because if you look at it, like we discussed on a previous podcast, where we are currently in the market from the 100, you know, from 60 to 30K, yeah, it dropped. But now, like you say, we're pretty much almost 50% recovered that. So now does the sentiment change for everyone? So I think uh, as far as like a super cycle. I don't want to subscribe to a super cycle because I think that's when you get caught like in the mess. I think everybody, you know, should basically have their own plan and profit taking strategy along the way instead of really time in the market because we all know that time in the market has never really worked out in our favor. So <laughs> I think, yeah, you, you're bang on, man. I think as well, we kind of follow the whole blueprint kind of aspects of things, um, which kind of from our perspective, we still see alts as a pretty decent investment uh, using ETH BTC as the indicator. So as long as ETH BTC remains strong, um, we still see alts in a fairly good position to outperform Bitcoin in the short term, not in the long term. So you can see like over the kind of the last month or so while the market has been rallying, there's been certain alts that have done 100% quite comfortably. Um, So yeah, what's your kind of perspective on that? Like, do you assign to the blueprint? Do you kind of, do you give it some merit in that sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I and mean, we all know that's the case, right? When um, I also use ETH BTC as a, as a driver for portfolio weight. Um, yeah. But again, I, I will always keep 80, you know, 80% BTC and then I, I play around with the rest. Naturally, ETH outperformed BTC for a while. So my weighting gets skewed like everyone else. And then you've yeah. got that dilemma is, I think to discuss ETH BTC, Every cycle, it's always hit 0.1 or 0.15, right? So I think it's reasonable to assume. That's another indicator for me on the topic of when the cycle's coming into its last legs. Do you, you know, not think it, it goes into price discovery, ETH BTC? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's possible this time. Yeah, I think possibly the all-time high on that pair could. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I would be mm-hmm. more surprised if it makes a lower high. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I would more side, and that's why touching on what I said before, is I would have rebalanced more ETH, took some profits on ETH BTC back to Bitcoin. But this cycle I haven't. I've stayed. I'm still overweight Bitcoin. I, I, I pretty much always will be. Well, I can't say that. That's that's wrong of me to say this. My opinion changes biannually in this market. But yeah, I am more overweight ETH than I was last cycle. 
I feel like that's the vibe of the market, which makes me a bit uneasy. Why does it make but you uneasy? I'm holding less alts than I did in 2017. I hold a, <laughs> this is why I have the opinion I have. I saw insane numbers on a screen and then I also watched insane losses on the same screen a couple <laughs> months later, right? Which I'm sure a lot of people have seen yeah. themselves in the last, since we last chatted. Or since we last spoke, should I say? Okay, just moving away from the blueprint and the whole kind of cycle thing that we've kind of been talking about, let's just jump to recent events and kind of what's been going on right now. What's your thoughts on this whole NFT craze <laughs> part two? Going on? I think I'm glad you asked. I'm yeah, glad I'm, I'm, I'm glad we. I'm glad we're talking about this because I think it's super interesting. Like, uh, yeah, NFT craze part two, definitely. Maybe I introduced to a few people that I was speaking to. There'd be good people for you to ask, or maybe do an episode on NFTs. Yeah, I mean, wow, is my only opinion. The money, the concept, the passion from some people is. Pretty, I mean, I'm always into new things and certainly in crypto, you know, it's always, like I say, it reminds me of the 27th or even before 2017, like researching, trying to find a gem and, you know, throwing a Bitcoin in there or two Bitcoins into something and speaking with your friend about it. And NFTs are kind of, I feel like it's that that new hype. I wasn't too much in the DeFi hype uh, and I'm, to for, for clarity, I'm not too much in the NFT hype, monetary wise. Uh, I've flipped a few of those punks the crypto punks yeah. i hold at, with the purpose i actually rate the artwork that says something about me or not i don't know um i actually really think they're cool looking things yeah. i rate the concept uh they're ridiculously expensive and but i i feel like because they're kind of like they've got this attachment of like being the first I almost feel like that value will hold. It'll cycle, it'll it'll boom and bust, but uh, I do think there's a good argument for uh, one or 2% of someone's portfolio to be allocated to those kind of NFTs, but uh, NFTs or projects that have yet to prove themselves in that space. It's down to the, you know, beauty is in the BI of the beholder, I think sums up NFTs. <laughs> um, so I've, I've, I've been flipping them I've been flipping uh, Bigans, which are called Bastard Punks. They're my favorite. They're my favorite alt punk, if if you will. Like, there's been a lot of. It seems to, the the trend is someone launches a very cool project and it's all new and funky, and then they kind of get ripped off one for a better word, or they have alt variations of them. Right. That's the only the the only punk project alt project I've I've also I still actually own quite a few of them. But my purpose with those is for a housing project I'm doing. I actually want to. I actually want to blow these things up on a canvas, have them in the house uh, as physical art with a QR code, either at the bottom of the canvas or somewhere on it, or maybe hidden in the actual color of the the punk that you can scan and it takes you to a wallet that proves that the person in or the, you know I that I own that house and I also own that yeah. artwork. So I not. really like that concept. Mm. Uh, obviously, if you don't have a house, then that's kind of irrelevant. Uh, and I think a lot of people flipping these have <laughs> tens of millions in, in in NFTs and crypto and probably don't own houses. And that's probably the smart thing to do, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, but yeah, I've, I feel like it was never something you would ever catch me doing. I think we talked about art on the last one a little bit. Um, I own a few things, you know, a few good artists that are kind of, I bought before they were hype, like George Rollo and a few, you know, things like that. And I also have some artwork from that's something to do with Banksy. Again, I bought it for a property. So yeah, I'm not really the art guy. I've always, I'm more into watches, as you know. 
Yeah. Uh, I have watch collection. I've always, oh, I have a good friend of mine got me into them years ago. And that was always my kind of hedge from crypto was I'll buy a nice watch, I'll buy a nice Daytona or a day date or look at an AP. And, you know, that that's more my stuff when it comes to art because I classify watches as that art bracket. So I don't really know much about it. But yeah, I've, I've been flipping it. I've been trying to, trying to understand the market. And the best way to understand any market is to dip your toe in, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, that, that I, I feel like that's something here to stay. I feel like it brings a whole new investor or a whole different type of individual, not necessarily just an investor. It's putting crypto out and in the in the eyes and the ears of people that maybe it would never, ever have you know, reached certainly four years ago. So yeah. I feel like it's a, it's got its own value. It's got its own position, uh, but I also feel like it's, it's, it's a net, it's a massive net positive for the space in general, more so than let's say leverage trading and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are doing it for the love. I feel like it's got that art narrative is don't buy something thinking that you're going to make money on it. You buy it because you're interested in it or you love it. And if you make money, it's a passive, you know, literally like watches. That's how I treat you. It's a bonus, right? If you make some money on it, right? Because you, yeah, you love correct. it. I mean, yeah. You guys probably know as much as me, if not more, but I, I felt I had to dip my toe into it to, to force myself to understand it, you know. Mm. Have you used OpenSea yourself, for example? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was on it today. I've not bought any punks myself or anything like that, but I was on OpenSea today. I don't know if you know, there's like these punk, uh, pudgy penguins that are like really, yeah, yeah, that, are, that are on trend <laughs> right now. They, I was just checking out some of them, what they look like. Korean man, have you, have you bought any punks or any NFTs yet over the last couple of weeks? Uh, so yeah, I have uh, participated over the past couple of weeks and uh, picked up some. Of course, like Matt said, you got to get things that you like. Being that you know I'm a huge sports fan, it's a lot of you know sports collectibles and different things that I like. That of course I know down the line people, you know, will probably want. Um, as far as getting like caught up in the craze, it depends. Me personally, I like to think about it now, like where your portfolio is, right? Because you have to like look at like how much some of the stuff actually costs. And is it actually smart for you to distribute some of your ETH or BTC or whatever on something that you don't really have an idea about? So I feel like um, a lot of people right now are getting caught in the hype, but I think this is a game that's probably, you know, should be played by people who have been doing this for a while. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think the the people that are getting caught up in this are the people are the ones that don't really know much about it. It's going to be interesting to see how it develops. I'm just wondering, like, how do you figure out a top for all this? Like, when are you going to be able to foresee? Like, because there's no charts, right? There's no technical analysis with NFTs. Like, <laughs> you ain't going to be posting no head and shoulders with an NFT or anything like that. Right? It's just, <laughs> sure just going to be someone will someone someone will figure it out. They'll find it, like a little head and shoulder on a penguin or something and be like, the top's in, the top's in. <laughs> but how, how do you foresee like uh, the bust cycle in these NFTs? Or does it ever even come? Do you know what I mean? It's just it's just a weird one. I, f- I feel like some of these values are. Yes, they're high in USD, but if you look at them in ETH, then it's not that bad. Like some of these punks and some of these apes and stuff, they're going for 100 ETH. And I think one day people are going to be like, oh, 100 ETH is quite expensive. But then you'll see one for like 20 ETH, which still is a lot of money, but they'll be like, oh shit, 20 ETH, that's pretty cheap. I'm going to scoop some up. You know what I mean? So it's the, yeah. de- it's the, it's the denominator that matters. What it's it- all relative as well. I mean, you've got, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily know the listener's demographic or portfolio size or anything, but... I find in crypto, there's usually not much in the middle, as I always say. So you've either got someone playing with like one to 10,000, maybe 100,000. 
dollars, pounds, euros, whatever you whatever you denominate your fiat currency in. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like there's also a side of crypto you might not you might know someone that you don't under, you don't know the true value, but like I know people that the, the the money that they slosh around that market is like their their parents and you know their friends don't even know you know and, and I, so I feel like some of those values you, they're coming out now they're, they're hundreds of ETH for a punk you know yeah up to five million dollars equivalent on a fucking pixelated JPEG uh, but if you've took a trade and you've just made ten million PNL. The fuck is playing with half of it? You know, traditionally, yeah, you you might have. I, I feel like oh, if if it was the legacy generation, they'd be buying houses, a, a penthouse, or you know, um, a, a nice place in in your the, your favorite city, or or a, a weekend lodge. In you know, it's all relative. I feel like this is. I feel like this NFT craze is a lot of it's clout, right? So people want to be seen to be doing the thing that's in or to be owning the thing that's in and that sucks more people in but i i I do also feel like in crypto you have a hell of a lot of rich people i hate the term but you know there's a hell of a lot of wealth and it's new wealth and they almost don't really know what to do with it and there is no there is no right or wrong thing that's what i genuinely love about it you can meet someone with holes in their shoes you know a scruffy super dry t-shirt on and he's worth a hundred million, uh, and he isn't interested in a house. He isn't interested in a car. You know, he he has his laptop. He might fuck around from city to city, or quite a lot of them don't even do that. You know, uh, so this is kind of like that. You know, if it wasn't on a public podcast, I would say more. <laughs> I would use other other words, but yeah. I feel like this is it, it. Kind of represents the 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 culture, if you will, which is a lot of money, maybe not the best interpersonal skills on a social level yeah uh, which is kind of the meme but then on that topic the people that i've met through the industry are actually like quite you know when you meet them they're not what you would think like so i feel like that's the vibe you know nfts there's a lot of young people in this industry with a hell of a lot of money and there's a lot of successful people and a lot of big brains or galaxy brains as i always used to say and they generate a fortune, whether it be some of the people on Instagram, on Instagram, sorry, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm sure there's an Instagram community. They earn a fortune off reflinks alone and plug in bullshit alts or maybe not as much anymore. But I know, you know, a lot of them get paid a fortune in on and pre-sale offers and stuff. They genuinely can make an absolute fortune. I think a lot of people don't understand how much money they make either. Mm. So I feel like that's representative of the market. And then on top of that, you've got funds coming in. Like when that block buy was done the other day, that was the first time someone's, to my knowledge, since I'd been monitoring the market, or, or dipping the toe in, should I say, when Three Arrow Capital, Kyle and Shu, they did a block buy, which is, you know, complex stuff so that no one could front run them. All those purchases were purchased in the same block. It was by the time you knew it had happened, it was too late. Someone else tried to do a, a 500 penguin block buy yesterday and they couldn't execute it in time. So they, instead they got as many people as they could, friends, loaded with wallets to, to to buy the offerings at the same time. So these people have stupid amounts of wealth. That guy was going to buy $1.2 million of peng, you know, the penguins. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like it's changing. The NFT game now, you've got funds looking at it. I'm sure if three-hour capital... Uh, yeah, they, they've allocated, mate. Right. I, think, I think they've allocated to some NFTs. I think they've allocated a yeah, couple they, of they, have that. Yeah. They, 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 did, they did a block buy on punks. They were the yeah. ones that did the block buy. yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and they bought a few others. He said they bought a few others. So, But I feel like they were one of the first open funds that engaged with the community that were involved in the space period. So it kind of reminds me about when they first were engaging in the space, you know, years back. I kind of feel like that's where NFTs are now. So again, I'm never being big into art. Watches have always been my thing. So I feel like there's far better people that can talk and represent <laughs> NFTs, but that's my yeah. experience with it. No, it's that, a crazy I, world. I think it's yeah, I think it's just interesting to get everyone's take on what's kind of going on in this space right now. And like you were saying, there's a lot of there's a lot of money sloshing around in crypto at the moment, especially like you said on retail, it's like there's like normal people becoming multimillionaires, right? And that's probably why you see a lot of these crypto Twitter influencers with like emojis as their profile pictures, right? They, they want to hide themselves. They're not, like you said, they're unsociable people, probably not the best with intrapersonal skills and things like that. And the great thing is the money that they're probably making from these NFTs, it's probably being reinvested back into the crypto market as well, which is, 100%, plus, yeah. which is a plus. So yeah, that's great, man. Let's go back to what's really driving this NFT market, which is ETH, right? And it's a, like you said, it's a massive net positive, this NFT craze for the, for the market, but I think it is slightly leaning more towards ETH and it's kind of driving its adoption a lot more. Um, sure. EIP one five five nine. The gas fees didn't get reduced, did they? <laughs> <laughs> right on cue. <laughs> What's the deal with that? Why? Why did? Is are we waiting for ETH two point for those fees to really get reduced? Because I'm yeah, I'm, sure. I'm seeing a lot of these screenshots. Um, people are posting and the fees they're paying just to kind of buy some of these NFTs are ridiculous. Um, I mean, the other day on the penguins, it went up to like nine k. Yeah. You're paying when you're using these platforms. That's not a typical on-chain fee. So, like the other day, I was buying, I was doing a transaction on OpenSea, and it was roughly a forty-dollar gas fee, which is pretty standard. But for me to send ETH to a different, you know, I was rejigging some hot wallets, or I was taking some funds out of cold into a hot wallet, and the the, the on-chain fee was like two two bucks, two two bucks fifty, whatever. Nice. So, what people don't understand, or, or I think people that are buying NFTs, they fully understand it, but the average person that's looking doesn't understand that for you to use OpenSea and when you click buy, it, it don't forget it's a blockchain powered. So that has to, it's, it's pricing like an instant transaction, not instant, but as quick as it can. So the reason why the fees are so high is because otherwise you'd be waiting 40 minutes for it to go through. Do you see what I'm, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah make complete sense. When you're just sending funds off Binance and it takes half an hour, it doesn't matter. But when you're trying to, it's like an eBay. If people haven't, if people, I'm assuming some people don't know what we're talking about. So it'd be like you clicking buy now on eBay, and you've got to, before that can actually get accredited to your wallet, and the system moves to the next step, if you will, of like the checkout. It has to be logged. It has to be broadcast to the blockchain, and it has to have a, a confirmations come through. I think it's six. So the reason why the fees are just constantly getting pushed up is because for that to have usability, it has to be quick. And for ETH to run quick, you have to you you know you have to pay pay to play. So that's the reason why the fees are so high relative because they're not actually that high. If you're just fanning around on chain, they're just kind of normal. All this cool infrastructure that's being built is, of course, shooting demand up. Um, EIP one five five nine, get it right for once. There we go. Um, it was never ever anyone that understands, believe it or not, I'm really not a technical kind of guy. And, you know, the, the guys that build all this stuff, they're the real galaxy brains. But all it, it wasn't ever going to reduce the amount that you would pay to send a transaction. It just changed the fee structure. So Ethereum got burned rather than giving to me as a miner to process it. 
Mm. It was just this structure change. It was kind of like sacking a CEO and putting two CEOs in their in their place. You know, you, you're still paying. It's, let's say you were paying him a hundred k. You're still going to pay the two fifty grand each. So you you're at, you're going to get a better result, arguably, whether you think you are because of two different brains. But your actual finance is not going to change. You're still going to pay out a hundred grand for that position, right? Mm. So. That's it. the simplest way to explain, which is what I said on the first one. I think people thought I was being a bit negative. I wasn't being negative. I think it's it's positive long term, uh, or you can you know deflationary or burning the currency, whatever. It's just changed the structure. So I think a lot of people con themselves. I was reading retail groups and people were like, oh, I'm going to wait till after EIP one five five nine because the fees are going to go down. I was like, how? What part of this have you misunderstood? <laughs> it's the first step in the process of changing the entirety of how the architecture works, if you will, or how it's engineered. When proof of stake happens, that will, or should, again, it's all theory because a lot of this can be offset by new users, um, you know, and, and new network traffic and stuff. So it's never a, an exact science. It's almost, I would say, it's almost like an artwork. But EIP was improvement proposal. It wasn't necessary. And again, arguably... I was saying to you about this last time. In my impact, it actually makes the people that already have a lot of ETH wealthier. Mm-hmm. The distribution of ETH actually goes down. So it actually is quite a capitalist policy, not a more, you know, mining is more socialist because you can go to the hardware store, pick up a $100 graphics card and technically be earning ETH. Yeah. So redist or burning that ETH makes existing people wealthier in that network and it makes it harder for the average person to get involved in that network. That's my opinion. But I also understand where they want to take ETH with proof of stake and to try and make it deflationary. And, you know, if they can get the fees down negligible, I think, you know, it's a risk. Everything's a risk in crypto. But doing that, it can work. I understand exactly why people see the benefit of it and, all the ultrasound money memes, but I do feel like there's a lot of uneducated, and I don't think it's uneducated. I think people these days, they don't want to actually learn. Like anyone could have found out the mechanics of that and worked it out, you know, or done a bit of research, but everyone would rather like just skim everything and try and be force fed. You know, there's a lot of misunderstanding around that, but I also feel like touching back on you, you were saying at the start as well about how East growing and how it's, it's expanding and things like OpenSea, they do massive wonders for East network effect. Again, people that will be buying NFTs or want to buy NFTs all of a sudden get an Ethereum wallet, whether it be through MetaMask or whatever, they then learn that architecture. They then learn that infrastructure. So ETH, absolutely, and I think the data supports it from active addresses and all this stuff, is growing and is arguably, you know, a hive of activity. Yeah, um, I think even Bitcoin, if Bitcoin, but ETH arguably ahead, I think. Mm. And I feel like it's because they're making it, there's all these different things you can be doing. And that's on the topic, that's what I find funny about talking on Twitter. You go on Twitter and there seems to be a hive of Cardano shills, right? People like... <laughs> And I remember it from last cycle, and it's it's hilarious. Like, oh, they're building this on Cardano or smart contracts on Cardano. And it's like, literally been saying this for four or five years. Like, he's actually doing it. If you're investing, I mean, I do own Cardano, as you know. As you know uh, I was buying it for two fucking cents, I think. So it's actually my best alt performer this cycle. Up only, mate, up only. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like... ETH, the value there with ETH and its uh, network effect and how, like I say, that the, the penetration of ETH and it's every single person or 
anyone in crypto and anyone that's being introduced, it used to be a Bitcoin wallet when I started, right? You would all have a paper wallet. You, the, I can't remember the website. And you used to go on and drag your mouse over a load of uh, digits. This is like 2014 or whatever. And it would generate you a paper wallet and you print that out uh, and that, you know, you would store that somewhere. And that would be your first crypto wallet would be a Bitcoin. This was before Ethereum was even a thing. It wasn't even invented. But I feel like now ETH is the go-to blockchain. So, you know, I think that says a lot of volume. And even though I'm overweight Bitcoin and, you know, see the merits of Bitcoin, a lot of people in Bitcoin don't really accept that or don't really give it the credit that it has. So yeah, I feel like East definitely the one to watch and it has the most activity, which then brings in all these new people, you know, but I feel like there's a lot of uneducated and me included. I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel really relative to some of the people here. Yeah, I think you you, you may, you touch on a good point. Um, like for example, if you look at like the on-chain data with Bitcoin, you can only get, for example, like supply on and off exchanges. Like that's, that's the main thing that you can track with where the coins are going. But with ETH, like you've got coins that are being staked, you've got coins that are going into DeFi protocols, you've got this NFT thing as well. So there's so many different met- different metrics you can look at with ETH. And I think a, a lot of the percentage of the ETH is actually being staked at the moment. And it's this demand, like the demand on it, sorry, the supply on exchanges is drying up massively as well, just in a consistent yeah. downtrend for like the better part of this year, I think. What would it take for you? Here's a question. What, what would it take for you to become overweight ETH for a, for a prolonged period of time? As overweight as in like, just marginally have 51% ETH versus my Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be more bullish on ETH than Bitcoin. Is that, is that possible in your world? <laughs> my problem, not a problem, but I feel like I am accumulating more ETH, right? So for example, if I have a, if I've been trading uh, using tether pairs, which isn't usually like me, I would usually trade uh, Bitcoin or uh, BTC perpetual. So I would always usually have profits in BTC, but I've actually been trading tether pairs. And although I've not been trading as much as, as I usually would be, my profits I've been buying ETH with. So I am more overweight now, ETH, than like I said before, than I ever have been. Okay, it's a, it's a slow process. We're getting there. We're getting yeah, there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm very, I'm not necessarily going to rush into something like, look, let, Bitcoin's got the history. Yeah, uh, yeah. I accept ETH's got the hype. And like I said before, I understand the credits. I use, I use ETH myself far more whenever, if I, for every one time I see a Bitcoin wallet, I'll see 10 ETH wallets, you know. So I, me personally, I'm 10 times more active on the Ethereum blockchain than I am on the Bitcoin blockchain or any other blockchain for that matter. So I understand, you know, the merits and I also look at the chart. And like I've said to you, even since before we did the last podcast, you know, I, I was saying that pretty much one driver I always look at is ETH BTC and it hitting 0.1, you know. So... You know, sometimes I think, ah, oh, you, you know, you should have gone more overweight, and then when it hits, you know, when when ETH uh, outperforms up to a certain point, pull it back to Bitcoin. But we're talking about long term holds here, and like some of those coins, I haven't even moved for five years. You know, like the, the more recently acquired stuff, I do keep up to date and I refresh. But I still have paper wallets. You know, like I still have that kind of old. So to me, I don't even include those old coins in any of my kind of like data i have portfolios that i don't even consider the kind of stuff that if i have children that that'll be theirs you know like it's it's, it's hard to explain how i work it so for me i feel like i am heavily in eth and as much exposure as i want because fundamentally i feel like it's 
it's still got a, a lot to prove relative to Bitcoin. Um, I, I really like Bitcoin's sound economics and the fact that it doesn't really change. Yeah, I rate proof of work. It does exactly what it says on a tin. It's a Ron Seal asset. And that, to me, holds so much fucking value. And like I say, I'm almost like a granddad investor. I... I will expose, and I like I said, I want more exposure to ETH than I ever have done. But to me, Bitcoin's sound money principle and what it is, is relative to other macro assets, yeah? The rest of crypto is a, is a, is a play, is, is a new venture. I feel like Bitcoin's always the core. That's why I, what will it take? I don't know. I feel like you say, I am growing, I am learning with the market. But for me, uh, maybe it's, I'm I'm a bit old clunky investor and I do need to to wise up and get with the the cool cats but for me that's why bitcoin is exactly what it says it is it does exactly what it says it's going to do it stores value it's fucking safe you don't have to fuck around with metamask do you know what I mean I have mm. air gapped wallets paper wallets you know the technology as it is for me is epic it's game changing as it is and I feel like a lot of people lose sight of that which explains why a lot of people don't even own Bitcoin these days, which to me is bananas. You know, if Bitcoin was to ever fail, the whole I feel like the whole market wouldn't even exist, certainly not for a for few sure. years. So. Well, at this point, yeah, I think it, it would fail if, if Bitcoin crashed. Do you think one day ETH will be classed as an altcoin or it'll just be its like own thing? Because like, right now you've got yeah, Bitcoin I mean, and you've I, got altcoins and then like you've got ETH. I, I don't know, I almost don't want to <laughs> put it at, class it as an altcoin because it's there's so much... Like around it, do you know what I mean? I do to you, don't I? I always joke, it's the king shit going, you know. (laughs) uh, Again, I'm not that much of a dinosaur to understand that. I feel like the whole, hear me out, even XRP, you know, if it proves it's, we get five years down the line, I don't, you know, is it, is the stock market really that like Apple's the king stock and Microsoft's a shit coin? Yeah, I don't you can feel like that is that. the case. I don't feel like anyone in stocks feels like that or index wise is. I, this is probably true, but the S&P 500 is the king and the FTSE 100 is a shit coin. I actually, <laughs> I don't, that probably is the case, but do you know what I mean? I don't feel like anyone feels like they're inferior or, but crypto, because it's so young, it's got that joke character. It's, it's, a, it's a young-minded sphere of, of wealth and technology. So I absolutely feel that in a few years you'll have the assets won't necessarily be like so correlated. And I think that you can't shake that shitcoin narrative when Bitcoin sneezes, the rest of the market catches a cold. Um, <laughs> so whilst that happens, I feel like that won't shake, but I feel like by default, as more investment comes in, that volatility will slowly, slowly fizzle over a period of time, the next decade. Yeah, I think, you know, of course you're going to have assets. You know, who knows? ETH might overtake, the flipping in might occur. <laughs> Can't believe so you just said that, bro. Can't believe, you just, can't believe you just said that, bro. <laughs> I don't believe it will personally, but I'm also, you know, I mean, I'm a, I might not even be here in five years, but what happens in the... The world moves at a very fast rate, uh, and I think it's very dangerous to say something won't happen. I feel like outside of you're going to die, everything else is a variable. You know, one day we're all going to die. That's a fact. I feel like everything else, certainly in investing, nothing should be taken for granted. Nothing should be assumed. So to answer your question, yeah, anything, anything's possible. I feel like ETH has the more chance to become its own standalone asset. I mean, I always, I was speaking to someone else on a similar topic. And I always said, what about Tether then? Is, you know, because Tether 
Arguably, I was actually, arguably, I, I was actually just going to come onto this topic, man. So go for it, go on. Uh, so you know, Tether is is Tether a shitcoin? You know, it's just a dollar peg. Not arguably, Bitcoin's a shitcoin next to the dollar, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, the jo- everyone jokes the dollar is the world's biggest shitcoin, or the euro is, you know. So, but what I mean is, on on cap size basis, then a lot of things are are, are a more alpha asset than Bitcoin, right? Uh, on a on a on a size or a value weighted basis. So it is. It's just. I feel like it, it, it's it's a good narrative and leader of excuse me joking around calling things a shitcoin. But yeah, the, the main reason for me is obviously a Bitcoin absolutely leads the market. Other assets outperform. Don't get me wrong. I'm you know I'm not saying Bitcoin is the only is the only golden star. But like I say, if Bitcoin sneezes, the whole market catches a cold. So whilst that's still in play, you're always going to have this shitcoin narrative, if you will. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And ETH being the king of them. Yeah. All right, bro. The last kind of thing I want to literally, you just kind of literally jumped on it, just the same topic again, just then. Is the whole deal with like Tether right now? We've, we've joked about this in the past, like quite a bit. What's the deal with Tether? Is it, I know you've said to me, it, it operates like a money market fund and, and mm-hmm. I don't really understand what that is properly. But um, yeah, it'd be good for you to just kind of go into that briefly and uh, just banish the Tether fund, I think, because it's been going around for a long time now, for years, actually, I think. And I think it's coming, I think it's coming to the point now where people are like, okay, this thing is probably legit now. And the fund is slowly disappearing, but it still lingers around and... It's quite annoying, actually, because I believe it to be quite a secure asset. Um, same as I believe USDC is probably a little bit better. Go on, go for it, mate. Just, just unleash on, on on Tether and USDT and your thoughts. <laughs> I, I, same as you, I get a lot of questions about this. Even people that aren't into crypto, they always like to think that this is going to be the, the hidden bomb, if you will, that's going to blow the whole market up. Yeah, market literally. Up. Yeah, and I mean, uh, touching on USDC, I see that Circle are going to go for a full reserve bank status, which is which is interesting. Yeah, I saw that. Um, that's an epic move, and again, it adds more validity and more options to this the bridge into the traditional world um, mm. from assets and just mines perspective. Uh, but yeah, USD USDT, which I've said for ages, even before any of these reports or any of these more transparent audits or details come to surface it operates like a money market fund and what i mean by that is in a traditional market if you have uh, or to, to give it to give it basis you have a pension and you want to hold cash you don't hold or you can you don't hold a cash on deposit you will buy dollars in a money market fund right and that fund has to be liquid to a certain degree so you know they, they can't be investing it in the S&P 500, but it holds things like commercial paper, uh, different rated, you know, they've got, the regulators have different rules on what money market funds that operate in different jurisdictions can hold, like Euro money market fund will be different to a dollar money market fund. And these funds are just designed to be liquid at the point of service, ultimately underlying invested in very short-term securities or very short-term maturities. So any assets, like I say, like commercial paper, which turns out, I think 93%, I think it was the other day. I actually meant to read it before we did this, but I didn't get time. I think 93% of Tether's 
whole waiting is like triple A graded commercial paper, which puts it far ahead of any fucking money market fund you're going to buy out there that is perfectly legal and regulated. And nobody stresses about a fucking money market fund. And for so anyone that doesn't... Low vol, no credit risk or very low credit risk. There's structures that have been around in legacy finance for years. Like you can't hold $56 billion, which I think the cap is... You can't hold that in a bank somewhere. Yeah. It's just, just fucking stupid that people... I mean, again, I don't know USDC. I don't think they published it, but you cannot hold... when you Certainly when you get to the billions, yeah, you can't hold that as physical readies in a bank account somewhere. You can't. The, mm. the custody costs, the cost of capital... Like Elon says, if any money he has in a bank for Tesla is is in the negative yield territory, right? Yeah. It ain't going to be any different if you have money on deposit, whether you're running a fund that's other people's money or not, right? So hence, you have all these different, or you, not all these structures, you have a money market fund structure. And Tether always has, been, oh, I don't know what, maybe at some point they did, there was a speculation that they used to hold Bitcoin in their allocation. Oh, which, really? For me, if they did, that wouldn't even fucking bother me. Do you know what I mean? But I understand the cross risk of them of them taking dollars in. That wouldn't be kosher at all. Uh, but for me personally, like if I saw that, I really wouldn't care if they had five percent allocation to Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, how Tether operates is literally like a, like a legacy money market vehicle, and a lot of the misinformation comes from people that themselves are misinformed. Uh, different influencers. Uh, these people, and again, I'm not saying that anyone's better than anyone else for having or being involved in corporate, but if you don't understand, let's say like, I'm certainly not up to speed, but when you're in the industry, you have to do it. You, you have to be qualified to a certain level. You have to sit exams. You have to keep those qualifications up to date. You have to be up to speed to a certain degree. I know 90% of them are clueless and they're just textbook regurgitators. But if you've never worked in that industry, and you're on Twitter giving your opinion on something that you honestly don't know your ass from your elbow about, then it's misinformation and you're spreading it to other people that are relying on or think that you're the beacon of information. So again, a downside to crypto is same about crypto assets. People are spreading information that they themselves don't understand. And then that's taken as the gospel. So before you know it, Chinese whispers, you've got one guy writes something and 10 other guys believe it. They tell 10 other of their friends. And before you know it, it's kind of like first opinion matters. If that's the first thing you've heard is Tether's bookie, you're going to avoid it, right? Yeah. The good thing is now we have viable alternatives. If you don't like Tether, fine. Use USDC. Don't worry about it. You don't have any money in it, nothing exposed to it. It doesn't fucking matter. I hold Tether. I hold about 100,000 Tether. And fuck all relative, but... I hold it. It doesn't keep me up at night. <laughs> um, really don't give a fuck. I could hold USDC if I wanted. Tether's just the most liquid thing, the most yeah. liquid vehicle for what I'm using those tethers for or those dollars for. So, I, th um, I think a lot of people just took it for um, what was on face value. Like when they saw, um, and like you said, Tether are probably the most transparent out of all the stable coins um, with, with, with how they operate. I don't, like I said, I don't think USDC have... have openly revealed kind of what, what's in their fund or whether they operate like a money market. But yeah, I think people take it for face value. They see that they're only holding like 5% in cash and they're like, oh my God, 
what's it backed by then? Like, do, do you know what I mean? Like, um, they, they expect like every single bit of tether that's circulating in supply right now to be, have like the dollar equivalent in the bank when, like you said, that's not the case because it's commercial paper, it's other things like that. But when they do see that, like how much they're actually holding in cash on the thingy, they just get a bit scared. They take it for what's on the face value as opposed to actually digging a bit deeper into the rabbit hole and understanding what, what, what the situation is. Yeah. And I mean, I, I understand it. And again, it's that typical crypto thing that is then easy for someone to sell a narrative on, right? Yeah. Whenever there's a misunderstanding, or again, it's like this information. Markets move on narratives, right? Markets move on narratives. So, hundred percent, and fear and greed. So, if if I'm if I'm selling a service and people and there's a hot topic in that market, and it's easy for me to latch onto it and get people to buy into me or buy into me as an individual, my company, my product, my service. It's easy marketing. It, it almost markets itself, right? Because you know it's hot press. People, if you write an opinion piece on it, someone it's going to go around, you know, it's going to do the rounds. But again, Tether, it's literally a traditional money market fund. I've never, ever, even before it was, when it was opaque, I never personally stressed it because like, I mean, to be brutally honest, I have a hunch with how all of that legacy market operates. None of the market's liquid. Do you know the, the actual underlying liquidity of your high street bank is fucking embarrassing. Yeah. Um, you know, collateral ratios are fucking disastrous. People, where the fuck goes? Oh, I'm not going to take a. Uh, let's go back to UK. What's one of big back? Santander. I'm not going to get a loan with Santander because it's it's only collateral. You know, it does it does one to ten fractional reserve lending, and uh, the reserve requirement isn't the right ratio. Who the fuck actually looks under the hood? Yeah, nobody reads. Actually nobody reads the, the, the whole system. In that sense, is rotten. That's why if you're worried about tether, own Bitcoin. Ironically, people say don't buy Bitcoin because Tether will implode it. You te- if Tether does collapse or if any of those, if USDC collapses or even die or true USD or, you know, any of the even decentralized stable coins, if any of that market implodes for whatever reason, not necessarily because it's not legit, but if there's a hack or if something happens in Tether and they lose a banking license or they lose a banking partner and, it, you know, the damage gets out before they can do damage control or some narrative spreads, then it's going to impact the price of every asset, whether it deals with it or not. You know, it's a small yeah. growing market. So I, I feel like I feel like you've got to be careful with that stuff because it's an old saying, I forgot who used to say it about recessions. And it basically is you can talk yourself into a recession. You know, if the narrative gets that strong in an economy that there's troubles, then people naturally start spending less, saving more. And they might not, the whole thing might have been bullshit, but you can talk yourself in to a problem. It's kind of the same with humans, isn't it? If you think negative, then negative shit happens. If you stay positive, then you know it's half the battle of, 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 of doing well. Hmm. So I feel like that's the same with Tether. I feel like there's so many people now pointing fingers and a lot of people's business models or a lot of their professional credibility almost relies on this thing blowing up, which is a sad place to be, really. Yeah. And, and again, those people that suit that are the same ones that talk about, oh, like someone just trolls all the time, you know, or someone just attacks. And it's like, how are you not understanding that you're pitching this whole model on these things failing? Again, if you're into... If you're into a different crypto than someone else, then these things aren't, I don't think it's one party wins here. I think it's, you know, everything needs to work together. And if Tether implodes, it will absolutely damage the market. Will it kill the market? No, it won't kill the market. No. It's yeah, not Bitcoin imploding, is it? It's just 
one thing imploding. If XRP implodes or loses its court case and gets forcibly removed off the place, will it blow the market up? No, it won't blow the market up. It will dent the market, absolutely. Things will sell off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think it'll end. That's why I, th- I think the, the Achilles heel is fucking Bitcoin. So if Bitcoin was to get, if SHA-256 was to be was to be attacked or successfully, then you've got a big question mark over the market, you know? Yeah. Um, but Bitcoin security, Bitcoin security has never come into question. Well, as, as, no, as, as far as I can remember anyway, over the, ever since its inception. And for that reason is why allocating capital from myself, I keep it as, you know, it's, it's, it is my core and it will be my core for, for the foreseeable future. But yeah, I mean, like I say, I don't want to get too technical because I understand that, you know, pe- not many people even, well, I've spoke about Some it. of this stuff's going over my head, mate, don't worry. <laughs> Some of this um, stuff's even going over oh, my yeah, head. Yeah, you know. I, I, I put a post in the group and it is, you know, it, a money market fund is just a pool of debt securities. So things like treasury bills, short dated treasury bills, yep. mainly commercial paper, which is like different entity lens, um, anything with a short term maturity. So you're not, so, you know, it, it's, it's not like a five year time horizon on, on the yield or on the return. And it's, it's got to be fully liquid and literally like no volatility. So it's, cash, it's called cash or cash equivalents. I'm sure most of our people either run their own business or speak to their accountant or whatever, and they've seen that term before. So it's cash and cash equivalents. You know, the bigger you go, the, the more dollar value you hold, the less percentage of that by default would be holders' physical cash deposit readies in the bank, cash under the pillow, you know? Mm-hmm. Corian, have you uh, have you ever been uneased by Tether or any of this kind of news or anything like that? Or is it just, it was just, because to me, to be honest with you, I've, I've never worried about it once. Like I've, I've seen all this stuff, all the worst headlines in the world that you could have ever, ever imagined to see. And I've, I've slept fine at night. So have you ever kind of worried about it, Corian? I think uh, me personally, no, I've never worried about it. I'm pretty much on the same sense as you. Yeah. Um, being that the quick answer for me is that being that the narrative always changes, um, I think when you kind of go into that withdrawal phase, whatever the narrative uh, is at that time is what kind of really matters, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. Being that it changes so often. But me personally, have I ever worried about it? No. Just like you said earlier, I like USDC a little bit more, but I mean, I'm not really like worried about it one way or the other, to be honest. Yeah, Tether's always the kind of first place I always kind of go to, to be honest with you. I think everyone goes to now, right? Because back in 2017, I think I think you said this on the last podcast that you did with us, um, a lot of people were trading with BTC and ETH as opposed to dollars and USDT or whatever yeah, around then, right? Do you know what I mean? So now this is... It's every alt pair was in BTC, I mean... Every alt pair was in BTC. All those exactly. exchanges everyone doesn't even know about. Like, yeah, yeah. You couldn't... It, Bitcoin was the was the default asset. It was the default price, wasn't it, you know? Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, USDT just brought more kind of, just allowed more people to participate, I guess, right, in, in the kind of ecosystem maybe, which is great, which is great. Um, Corey, sure. do you want to add anything else, bro? Any other questions you had for Mr. X? I was, just, I was about to say your name then. <laughs> nah, this, this, this is a great podcast. There's a lot that, you know, as always, it was great. We have to, you know, go back, give it a re-listen and digest a lot of the information. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just love to, of course, you know, just hear your mindset and the way that you process things, which, you know, of course, a lot of times may be different, but um, by it being different, I learn a lot. So I just appreciate having you on. Appreciate it. Appreciate the comments. And like I say, it's always a good chat. Probably rambled again. 
Nah, man, we love it. <laughs> we love it, man. We love it. We love it. Last la, la, last question. I think I think someone from uh, the TCC kind of wanted this to be asked. But um, if you obviously the, the most obvious question, if you're new to crypto, where do you where do you bloody start? And I think I know where the answer is going with this. But go on, wrong. Just give it, give it, <laughs> give it an answer. All in punks. Um, no. <laughs> Again, this is I kind of have to hand it over to you guys. As in last cycle, I was more on the pulse. I feel like, I mean, my default position: you should have fifty percent in Bitcoin. You know, that's my position. If you 100% accept that you want to take on 100% risk for a bit more reward, fine. Do, you know, alts, east, whatever. But my default position is if, if you were to come into the market, it's hard for me to get into any other mindset because I'm always in the crypto's risk anyway. You know, Bitcoin's got fuck tons of risk relative to me just buying the S&P 500 Mm. Um, or buying a house, you know, or even holding tethering of fucking yield uh, vault. So I don't know. I kind of feel like you guys understand. You guys do more research. You guys arguably have the finger on the pulse from a technical and like project, you know, you know what's going on. And like Solana, for example, you guys are always hot on that. And I think that's valuable. And if you're not like me, then don't try and outsmart the market, you know. Pick an allocation that you're comfortable with, like 50% Bitcoin, 25% ETH, and 20% alts and 5% NFTs, for example, you know. Yeah. I don't. I feel like people overcomplicate this shit, and at the end of the day, it's a marathon, not a sprint. That's, always, that's what we say all the time. <laughs> huh? That's what we say all the time, man. It's a marathon, not a sprint. I feel like it's one of those comments where people are like, oh, it's easy for you to say. You've been in, you, you've got blah, 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 you know, and that's what I always get on the like, But I always say, look, if, if, if you're trying to make fast grab in the market, it's going to humble you. You're going to lose out. You're probably going to lose your fucking skin off your back. Like, the market works in a funny ways and it kind of knows when you're being greedy, I always feel like. It's kind of got its own pulse. It definitely um, does. Like my pops always used to say to me, um, when you're when you're riding a motorbike, because I used to race motocross, and he was always like, respect the bike or it won't respect your back. You know, like, <laughs> don't come on there and be dead aggressive because it's going to throw you off. You're going to break a leg. You're going to break your arms, whatever. Um, like, respect the machine and it will respect your back. I feel like that is the same narrative. It's a marathon, not a sprint um, with crypto, you know. Have a sensible head. Pick an allocation. You sit down with yourself and you should say, what am I investing for here? Is it to try and milk the market and walk out at the end of this year with a new car? Or am I trying to turn one grand to five? Uh, those kind of targets, personally, I don't think always work that well. you know. But whatever that is, whether it's I'm investing five or 10 years, whether you want to invest every single month a little bit of money, but keep it low risk so if it goes to zero, it doesn't matter. You know, everyone's different. Some people put five grand in the market. Some people put 500 quid in. Some people put 500 grand in. Some people say, well, I've got 500 a month that I've got excess. So I'll put 250 quid a month in the market. I'll do it for five years and I'll see what happens. You know, that like, that's how you would traditionally invest, right? Most people have a pension allocation that automatically comes off their salary in the UK. It's, everyone's different. So I, I personally would go with the 50% Bitcoin allocation. You don't need to worry about it. Forget about it. 
And then dec- decide on your allocation, decide whether you're going to rebalance it. That's another key thing. I think you guys preach this. Mm. Are you going to keep the allocation? And if you are, are you going to do it monthly, quarterly, weekly, annually? How are you going to rebalance? So if I buy 50% Bitcoin and 50% ETH, for example, uh, and ETH outgrows Bitcoin two to one, at the end of the year, do I shave that ETH exposure and revert it back so I've got 50% and 50%? Or are you, are you just going to go with the initial allocation and let the portfolio swell? So pick a strategy. Are you going to rebalance it or are you going to centralize it? You know, are you going to pivot it around a certain point? And, you know, are you going to have continuous capital dripping in? I think that's a big factor with investing. If you've got monthly feed-ins, then you can take a bit more risk. If you've not, then you want to be a bit more defensive, in my opinion. And again, biggest factor of any investing in any market is time horizon. If you're trying to have a longer term view I appreciate crypto doesn't lead to that because it is so fucking volatile. And then also make some realistic targets. So I've, again, I've, I've kind of not answered the question and rambled on a bit, but if you hit a 10x gain, even though every one of your mates might be telling you they've hit 100x, you are happy with a 10x and it would change your life or make your life easier, fucking take it or take half yeah. of it. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I know 100%. a lot of people will heed that after the last three months. But <laughs> I said it. I say it to friends, you know, and I, I've watched friends make a ton of money, uh, and I, you know, some of them have listened and took it, and some of them haven't. Some of them have their, their own plans, but I'm always, you know, make your plan and stick to it. Don't divert from it unless the evidence changes that tell you that your plan was fucking stupid, of course. So make make the plan. Like I say, pick a pick an asset allocation. Stick to it. Are you going to rebalance it? Are you going to drip feed capital in? And how does that impact it? And then what's your time horizon? And then finally, just actually execute the plan. Yeah, yeah, execute it. I I, I made a plan at the start of the year. And, you know, when the numbers hit that, I executed it. And then when when the market carried on going up, you feel like a twat. You know, you feel like, fucking hell, why did I? And then when the market was dumping, you're like, oh, fine you know i did i stuck to my strategy if it all goes to zero it doesn't fucking matter and then now you've you're right back in oh fucking hell i should have should have kept hold you know all that stuff and you're like that's not the purpose so my experience is make a plan and stick to it you know if you put a hundred grand in and you get a mill and you wanted to buy a car even though you're wasting your money but if that's what you want to do and that's why you did it do it mm. you'll never yeah. regret that you'll always regret it if it goes fuck, fucking wrong though mm. For sure, man. I think tunnel vision is a big thing. Like, like you were saying, right? Um, pick pick an asset allocation, make a strategy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then when you see your mate on the left hand side making, like, like you said, hundred x stupid amounts of money, you want to divert from that strategy. Then you start thinking about other things. But you need to just literally stay tunnel vision. Stick to your plan. Stick to your strategy. And yeah, even if shit goes wrong, like like you said, you you took a little bit out. The market went up. You felt like a dick the market came back down and you were like, okay, it's all good. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just accumulate more. Um, yeah, just, yeah, it's so important, mate. We, we, we preach the exact same things, have a plan and stick to it. So yeah, man, that's, that was, that was very useful. I think we'll just wrap it up there, man. We, we, we appreciate your time. And it was another blockbuster episode. I, I, I hope the listeners enjoyed this one again. Um, yeah, some really interesting points. I really like the discussion around BTC and ETH and the kind of comparisons there. That was really interesting. But yeah, man, we'd love to have you back on again in the next season. Take care guys. Appreciate it. I appreciate Appreciate it as ever. Thanks for the conversation and uh, yeah, good speaking. All good, bro. Take it easy. Thanks.